This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome to the program. Today's show will feature some things that are new and some things that are old and some things that are recycled. And that's probably as it should be. And sometime later in the show, probably in our third segment, we're going to go down to Niles, California, now part of Fremont, to speak with film historian David Keene about an upcoming event taking place in the weekend of the 29th slash 30th to honor a giant of the early cinema, Gilbert M. Anderson, better known as Bronco Billy Anderson, one of the fathers of the Western. He also proved instrumental in advancing the career of a uh, up-and-coming comedian named Charlie Chaplin. Stay listening till segment three for that one. We do have some recurring themes on Radio Parallax, and uh, there's a couple reasons for that. One being that we just find some subjects more interesting than others. Perhaps the second being that our mainstream media just does not seem to devote the proper attention to some news items that it should. Although a couple days back I was listening on this very station, KDVS, to our broadcast of Democracy Now! with Amy Goodman. And I want to say that Amy is just a bit of a national treasure in what she's doing there with Democracy Now! We've been privileged to have her on this program, I believe, three times at this point, and hopefully we'll have her on again. She was speaking in this particular instance with Glenn Greenwald, reporter for The Guardian, who I noticed was American. thought it was kind of odd that Greg Palast has to go over to the UK to do some reporting about some hot political topics here in the US, and evidently so did Glenn Greenwald. At any rate, we ourselves will have more to say about uh, the topic of spying the NSA, national security, and lies being told to the public as we go along, probably in segment two. Let's begin today's program as we like to do with on this date in history, the date in question being the 20th of June. It so happens that this is our last program of spring, being that tomorrow marks the summer solstice and the transition from spring in the northern hemisphere into summer. At latitude 40 degrees north, which is about where we are, There will be 15 hours and one minute of sunlight on the solstice. If you go after sunset, you may be able to witness Venus and Mercury flirting with each other along the western horizon. But uh, going back in history, as we started out to do, was on June 20th in 1837 that Queen Victoria, whose long reign would define a period of British culture, assumed the throne upon the death of her uncle, William IV. Known to history, as I recall, as Silly Billy. But uh, darn if I remember why they call them that. If any of you history buffs out there have a story about this, drop us a line at info at Radio Parallax, and we'll educate everybody. But it was also on June 20th, in this case in the year 1863, that West Virginia, which was the part of Virginia that remained loyal to the Union cause, became the 35th state during the American Civil War. And I believe Virginia tried to sue after the end of the Civil War to regain its lost territory. And uh, I guess the Supreme Court just said, no, we're going to leave it stand. Even though the whole thing was apparently on some fairly shaky legal ground. On June 20th in 1898, during the Spanish-American War, the U.S. cruiser Charleston captured, that must have been tough, the island of Guam, 
which was then a Spanish territory and remains even today an American protectorate in the Pacific. On June 20th, 1961, Gamal Abdel Nasser, president of the United Arab Republic, which was then a union of Egypt and Syria, which later broke apart into its components, approved a plan to move the ancient temple of Abu Simbel above floodwaters created by the construction of the Aswan Dam, a billion-dollar power and water project and one of the great pieces of pork in all of history. We've been unable to resist commenting on this program on numerous occasions that sometimes when it's not broken, you don't want to fix it, and when the flooding of the Nile for 5,000 years has provided people all along its banks um, free fertilizer, you probably shouldn't mess with that whole system. But thanks to President Nasser and a lot of Soviet aid, uh, the Egyptians have done so. The Nile no longer floods as it used to, and they now have to buy fertilizer. Of course, friends of Nasser and of the government who had the foresight to buy land upstream that would soon become a lakeshore with ready access to irrigation water did pretty well in the deal, I understand. All right, June 20th, 1967. World heavyweight champ Muhammad Ali is stripped of his title after being convicted of draft evasion during the Vietnam War. Ali refused to join the U.S. Army based on beliefs from his Islamic faith. He famously said, I ain't got no quarrel with no Viet Cong. He also said, and I quote, No Viet Cong ever called me a nigger. Neither quote endeared him to American conservatives. And there was a very real possibility that Ali would have gone to jail. The threat of that was eventually removed by U.S. Supreme Court decision. But those who have studied the legal reasoning say he was lucky. The re- he might well have gone the other way. After a three-year layoff from boxing, Ali did uh, go back into the ring. And as you probably all are well aware, did regain his championship. Although it was quite a long comeback trail, which included defeats by... Uh, Ken Norton, and Smokin' Joe Frazier along the way. Our quote of the day comes from Joseph Stalin. Not a man we quote from a lot, but this is an interesting one. Said the Soviet leader, political power does not rest with those who cast votes. Political power rests with those who count votes. An apt quote, we think, for the Republican Party in some of our recent national elections. Our quote of the day... From Errol Flynn, said Flynn, it isn't what they say about you, it's what they whisper. Our joke today comes from Conan O'Brien, who said before last weekend, this Sunday is Father's Day, or as NBA players call it, don't answer the phone day. Our stat of the day comes from scientificamerican.com, which notes that the average American eats one to two pounds of insects and insect parts a year. That's what's contained in such foods as pasta, spinach, broccoli, cereal, rice, and beer. The Food and Drug Administration has allowable levels of insects for various foods. Beer, for example, can contain up to 2,500 aphids per 10 grams of hops. Now that's as it's reported. I'm sure you cannot put 2,500 aphids in 10 grams of hops. That would just not be possible. I think that what they mean are parts of aphids. Well, this correspondent used to work at the Hunt Wesson Cannery on the outskirts of Davis on Colville Boulevard. 
used to know how the lab was always having to check for insect parts because if there were just so many parts in the tomato sauce, they had to condemn the whole batch. When in fact, people, you could actually eat the insects directly and not only would you suffer no harm, you would benefit. This is one of those crazy items that people just can't seem to get over, the, the, the ick factor. Meanwhile, they will consume crustaceans <laughs> like a big lobster or crab dinner with gusto. Go figure. All right, let's jump into the good, the bad, and the ugly. According to the Week magazine, it was a good week last week for beginner's luck. After Wesley Carrington of the UK discovered a haul of Roman coins worth $165,000 buried in the woods just... 20 minutes after buying his first metal detector. It was, on the other hand, a bad week last week for enforcing dress codes when it was revealed that male train workers in Sweden circumvented a ban on wearing shorts by donning skirts instead. (laughs) Males can wear garments allowed in the women's dress code, a spokesman said, because, quote, to say anything else would be discrimination, unquote. And we have to ask, how long will it be before Lars and Sven discover the Scottish kilt? They've been wearing skirts for quite some time up there in Scotland. And please, Scotsmen, we we know that technically they're not skirts, but come on now, fellas. And finally, it was an ugly week last week for nuclear power, with word that owners of the controversial San Onofre plant have announced that they were permanently closing the facility amid an ongoing legal and regulatory battle over its safety. The two reactors at Southern California Edison have been out of operation since January of last year when a small amount of radioactive steam escaped. Occurring as it did just months after the Fukushima meltdown in Japan, the leak sparked widespread public concern. Edison had sought to restart operations in one of the units but was knocked back by the Nuclear Regulatory Commission panel that said the move required a hearing. This closure, of course, is the latest blow for a nuclear industry which has seen four units permanently removed from service this year, more than any year since the U.S. started its nuclear power program back in 1957. As we've talked about in this program in the past, we are not anti-nuclear power. We just don't see any alternative to finding carbon-free energy sources. The French are making it work. Why can't we? I have a few items in the last couple of weeks' programs that we didn't get to that I think we should uh, should cite. Harper's Magazine had a list of 2,945 occupations listed in the current edition of India's National Classification of Occupations. Yes, according to the authorities, you can hold the following positions officially, such as propagandist. Yeah, I guess Fox News is in India also. How about... Contortionist. Now, we're not too surprised to see Snake Charmer listed as an official occupation, but I'm a little bit taken aback by Buffoon. Does this reflect an anticipation that Rush Limbaugh may be moving to India? We don't know. Now, Merry-Go-Round Operator, that seems legitimate, but Peon? You can officially be a peon in India. That's your profession. There's actually a few we don't get. Now, okay... Hand deherer, okay, that one, that one I can sort of see, but hand flesher, hand fluffer, and hand stamper, 
we're less clear on. It's official. In India, you can be a colliery creeper man and a coke oven gas man. And again, those we can sort of get, but we just have to draw a blank at the following four. Rumbler, crystallizer man, centrifugal man, and magma man. If you have any idea what India is talking about and its national classification of occupations of some of these, by all means, drop us a line at info at radioparallax.com. Mr. McMillan admits to having spent a great deal of time in India, but also being mystified by some of these terms, although he does note that both peon and minion are frequently used in India to refer to the menial help. All right. Have you noticed how the good news, potentially very good news, coming out of Iran got you know put on page A7, as it usually does? Yes, over in the Islamic Republic, there was an election, and the centrist candidate, Hassan Rouhani, won an absolute majority in the election, a surprise outcome that could help raise the spirits of a population that's fed up with economic distress, international isolation, and just the general antics of their religious-based government. There's already some tentative talk about this possibly being the way to improve relations between Iran and the U.S. We'll have a little bit more to say about uh, the Middle East, I think, later in the show. But we do want to compliment the Sacramento Bee for its continued excellent coverage of many issues out there. Not, uh, not every paper goes out and does some digging, or news organization does so. And uh, the Bee has um, frequently done so, for which we applaud them. This story about what's going on in Dixon continues to be a sort of a, uh, a comedy evolving. Uh, the story of Carissa Carpenter, who has promised to move a movie studio to the pasture lands of, of rural Solano County. Most recent piece in the B on June 16th about this uh, unfolding saga notes that, uh, that Carpenter not only got involved in the real estate dealings of Dixon, she also got involved in their political battles as well. Longtime Dixon resident Orania Riddle got fed up with some of the goings-on about this whole uh, this whole issue of a movie studio and said uh, to the bee, you know, she comes into town, she's going to tell the citizens who live here, some of them for generations, what she's going to do and how she's going to do it, and we didn't have a say. Riddle then proposed an ordinance to expand government transparency. It got defeated last year amid public pronouncements by Carpenter that she'd pull her studio project if the measure passed. Now, the idea of transparency uh, in government proceedings is is an important one. We've reported on this program about how, uh, in a rather shifty move with the Sacramento City Council some time back, they were able to uh, sidestep public discussion and debate over some houses they were going to move and changes that were going to be made to put up a, uh, a cardiac center at Mercy Hospital. And currently, Dixon's now under fire for uh, perhaps a lack of transparency in some of these maneuvers. City, city fathers are saying, oh, no, 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 this has all been out, you know, above board, all out in the open. There's nothing funny going on here. But uh, uh, that's not what some other landowners say. They quoted Joe Azevedo in the B, a landowner who was approached about selling to Carissa Carpenter by Dixon city officials. And Azevedo said, they pretty much said if we didn't go along with the deal, they couldn't control what would happen, but they'd pretty much use us as a buffer. It came across that you do this deal or we're pretty much going to make your land worthless. Now, before they had an election in Dixon last October, uh, Carpenter uh, came out against Measure N, which was an effort to increase transparency, promoted by, as we said, uh, Orantia Riddle. According to the B, 
Carpenter went into the Dixon Patch newspaper and said that the ordinance would force her company to, quote, disclose corporate financial records, corporate proprietary information, and our trade secrets to the public, unquote. And she apparently elaborated earlier this year with the B, saying, and I quote, If we had, hypothetically, Tom Cruise flying into town and we told the police we need an escort from here and we're going to close this street, they could ask us where and who is coming. Of course, we'd have to disclose it. So apparently the argument that Tom Cruise's comings and goings in Dixon could be inappropriately revealed to the public uh, had something to do with the defeat of a political measure. Hmm. We're going to follow this story. If for nothing else, it's comedy value. Less amusingly, but more importantly, would also cite a piece by Matt Weiser in the Sacramento Bee describing how uh, there's been yet another suit that has been uh, filed to stop the current plan to, well, basically steal more water, steal more water out of California's uh, uh, delta and ship it south for the use of real estate interests in Southern California. Of course, when I frame it that way, I would note that that opinion, like all those heard in this program, does not necessarily represent those of KDVS, our sponsors, or the University of California. To quote from the piece by Matt Weiser, a planning document intended to resolve decades of water conflict in the Sacramento-San Joaquin Delta was instead greeted by a flood of lawsuits on Monday. At least seven lawsuits were filed in three counties against what is known as the Delta Plan. The plan, which lays out a long-term strategy for developing and managing the sensitive estuary, is required by 2009 state legislation. That law also created the Delta Stewardship Council, a seven-member appointed commission charged with crafting the vision. The lawsuits came from virtually all points of the political spectrum in California's unceasing water wars, including environmental groups, commercial fishermen, water diverters, and local governments. Notes Matt Weiser in the piece, Richard Frank, a professor of environmental law at UC Davis, said the lawsuits appeared to mark a new front in the battle over the Delta which is the largest estuary on the West Coast of the Americas. Referring to the lawsuits, Frank said, I think in part it's unavoidable. The Delta is really a perfect storm of virtually every environmental issue and environmental controversy you could imagine in California. This is a rather confusing a story of, of who's suing who and what, <laughs> what justifications they're using. But I think the showstopper quote comes later in the article when it's noted that Chris Knopf executive editor of the Delta Stewardship Council, expressed disappointment that so many lawsuits would divert attention from the work of solving the Delta's problems. And yeah, if there's anybody out there dumb enough to think this whole <laughs> this whole plan has anything to do with solving the Delta's problems, please feel free to drop us a, uh, a, a private email because we would like to sell you some bridges. We promise to continue following this story. And let's take a moment to hear what America's foremost political comic, Mr. Will Durst, has to say about what's been in the headlines lately. Hey, guys. 
Will Durst here with a few choice words on the revelation that the National Security Agency is monitoring pretty much everything we say all the time. And to be perfectly honest, anybody who didn't already suspect this kind of snooping was going on is not to be trusted with knives in the kitchen without the protection of a fencing mask. Privacy is so 20th century. Unfortunately, while testifying in front of Congress, the NSA insisted that no, they aren't collecting data on Americans, when what they really meant to say is yes, they are collecting data on Americans. Confused by the question is all. Spokesman James Clapper claims he gave the least untruthful answer possible. Just a twist of fate that the least untruthful answer is identical to a bald-faced lie. Then again, even Congress knows that getting a straight answer from these guys is harder than bending a wire coat hanger into a number representing pi to the sixth digit with your teeth. See, the problem is nobody knows who the enemy is anymore. For all our government knows, it could be you or me. Mostly you. Narrowing suspicion is too time-consuming. Much easier to wiretap the entire nation than trying to pick out one or two of us. And what's more democratic than spying on everybody? The process is called data mining, and we, the soft quarry, are producing up to a billion records a day, which is real similar to pulverizing Everest than sifting through the rubble for the blue pebble. They say we have no reason to worry, because even though they're monitoring everything, nobody's actually listening to it. They just like to collect stuff. So this whole thing is just an extra-long government-subsidized episode of Hoarders. Besides, the Constitution only safeguards us from unreasonable searches. Considering today's technology, that only protects the dead. For Radio Parallax, I'm Will Durst. And we'll talk more about this very topic in the segment to come. Stay tuned. You're listening to Radio Parallax. I'm Douglas Everett. Listen. Whisper in your ear Say the words you long to 